Well, good evening, everybody. I kind of thought since there's no snacks, there wouldn't be really anybody here. And uh, it, it filled up. I'm glad everybody find a, found a, a seat. Um, yes, Richard and Erlene aren't not here tonight at the last minute, and so there's no snacks. So we're going to have to try to suffer through this together. I don't have my little peppermint patties. I don't know how I'm going to make it, so, uh, but we'll get through it. Um, Pastor Greg, tonight, I want to welcome you all. I welcome you guys watching online as well. I know there's many people watching online. Um, several people are out just for, for uh, what's that term that we learned this year? Um, for, uh, no, Deb, help me with that term. Out of, out, of, uh, out of an abundance of caution. That's one of the phrases we learned this year, out of an abundance of caution. Um, but he, uh, anyway, some people are out because of that. Pastor Greg this, today is, uh, went down to West Palm with his mother and father, and his father had surgery today, and it was successful. And, uh, but it's a, it's a long day to be in West Palm and at the VA and, and do all those things. And so he, uh, he's watching from home tonight. So, um, and as well, like I said, as many other people are watching from home. But um, tonight's going to be interesting. It's a, it's a, we're in, we're in, we're going to be in chapter nine, but we're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, has anyone ever had the, the, a, a spicy chocolate? It's got like cayenne pepper in it and chocolate. Yeah. Or maybe even jalapeno pepper jelly. Yeah. So, right. So tonight I want to hit you, punch you hard at first, and then we're going to get all happy with it. Okay. So there's two couple of things I want to talk about tonight. I'm excited about it. We're going to kind of break it up a little bit. Um, but um, there's so much going on right now. We're going to have a time of prayer. Um, good grief. If, you've, if you look at the news, it's, does it ever end? What's next? Can it get any worse, you know? And you think, well, it can, and we know it will. Um, but it's uh, between the political situations and be between the, the, the pandemic locally, globally. Uh, there's just so much going on um, that I don't know how anyone could not be a believer and have that foundation in Christ right now. Um, I don't know what they lean on. What, what do they go to uh, in this day and age? Like I, 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 we know our hope is in Christ. We know how this all ends. We know where we're going, you know, and we know that he's going to give us comfort and peace no matter what happens. But I just don't understand sometimes how the rest of the world, and that is almost a call to, to be a light in this, these dark times. Uh, no matter where we are, where we work, who we socialize with, I think it's really important that we, uh, that we are that strong tower, that, well, Christ is a strong tower, but that we can have peace and be a light in people's lives. And they may ask us, you know, why are you, why are you at peace with it? Why aren't you stressed out? Or why do you not, you know, what, what, why are you so solid? And then there's, a, there's a, a shoe in right there. So let's open up with prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We, we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, just thank you for the fact that we can just simply gather here tonight without fear. Lord, we know that in places around the world, especially uh, with Afghanistan right now, that there are churches that are, that are underground, that they've had to go into hiding, Lord. And uh, Father, who knows, perhaps even in the next month or so, some of those churches and those congregants in those churches might see you face to face. Lord, give them strength, Father, in this time. Lord, I pray for our administration in the United States, Father, that, Lord, I'm not quite sure how to pray, Father. I just pray that you would somehow uh, give wisdom uh, during this time of uh, darkness, Father. 
And Lord, for those people that are at home uh, watching tonight that are uh, maybe struggling with, uh, with the virus or know that someone that is, Father, I pray for you to, uh, Lord, give them, grant them peace and healing, Father. And for all those that are just uh, in, have any other needs, Father, that are home, perhaps because of emotional reasons or uh, something came up where they just weren't able to make it tonight, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that we have the online service that people can watch from the comfort of their own homes, but I'm also grateful for the people that are here tonight, and quite a few people have shown up tonight, and it's wonderful to see that, Father. Lord, be with us tonight as we open your word. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit illuminate the text for us. Lord, that when I uh, go through this, Father, and we go through this chapter together, that, that, uh, that your name will be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, what I'd like to do tonight is, you know, in chapter 7, we saw the, the very first um, uh, showing of Nathan, the prophet. And Nathan the prophet um, has a huge role to play in the life of David, and that's coming up. I'm not going to do any, any, I don't want to give it away what, what occurs, but some of you may know. Um, but I'd like to go back, if you guys could go back and turn to um, chapter 7. We're just going to kind of, I just want to touch on something that was sort of on my heart, and I'd like to just go back to, so 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I think I'll just pick, uh, pick it up in, uh, on verse 7 if you want to read along with me. And there's a few things I want you to notice. So now when a king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to, to Nathan the prophet, now the king simply referring to obviously King David, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, go do, do all this in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Um, so I'm just kind of setting this up for you guys because I want to talk to you briefly at the beginning of this teaching tonight about prophets. In this day and age, I've talked to probably two or three people recently that have said, hey, have you heard what so-and-so, the, the current prophet, has said? And have you heard his prophecies? And we're talking about people that, and I don't mean in this congregation, I just mean other believers that I've spoken with, that are sort of relying on these words from these so-called prophets. And I, I thought, wow, we just started talking about prophets and, and I, uh, in, with Nathan, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to actually have some discernment when it comes to prophets, so-called modern-day prophets, and what they say and what they do? And really what we want to do is fall back on the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about modern-day prophets. And so a lot of times people will say, because some of the modern prophets go, uh, they'll, they'll talk and they'll give a prophecy. And I'll, I have a few for you that I've, that I've just kind of took off just the general news channel. And then the prophecies, what they, now when I say prophecies, I'm not talking about the end times. Those are other prophecies. Speaking of the end times, I've been hearing prophecies of the end times since I was a child that we're in the end times. I believe that we seem to be getting closer just by law, of, of the law of time. Um, but I know in 1917, some of the prophecies were supposed to have come true. And what I do know is that the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and we must be ready. But if we're in the end times, I don't know. But that's sort of the prophecies people talk about, things lining up, the stars and Russia. And the, you know, I don't know. All I know is that he's coming back, and I hope he comes sooner than later. But with modern-day prophets, a lot of times someone will give a prophecy, 
Uh, and typically it's more of a charismatic bend, which isn't necessarily wrong. It's, it's, it's fine. The word charismatic has been hijacked a bit, but um, they'll give a prophecy and then it will not come to pass or something else will change and they'll go, well, I'm, I'm learning, I'm practicing, you know, I'm, it's, we're not always right, you know, but I want to look at what scripture says about that. And so sometimes people will use this passage in particular about Nathan and because they're, well, Nathan was, Nathan told David to go ahead with building the thing and, and, but, well, we have to understand what Nathan did right there. Nathan hadn't heard from the Lord. We learned in a couple passages prior to this that David, we heard this over and over, David inquired of the Lord, right? Or the Lord spoke to, or the Lord said. Well, right in this situation here, what had occurred is that Nathan was just like, sounds like a great idea, go for it. And all the commentary I've looked through, that's pretty much what it was. And then we get to verse 2. So I want to make the distinction. Here's verse 2. It says, but that same night, the word of the Lord, so God spoke, to Nate, came to Nathan. Go and tell. And so he goes on. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but God gives specific, accurate direction to David at that point. So what occurred was he started and Nathan said, he just said, sure, sounds good. And then the Lord corrected. The Lord stepped in that evening and said, here's what I say to you. Now, notice it doesn't say this. But that same night, Nathan thinks the word of the Lord came to him. Or that same night, the word of the Lord might have come to Nathan. No, what it says, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Period. There's, it's 100% accurate. There's no thinking about it. There's no wondering if that was God. So with that in mind, let me take you to a couple things, a couple of examples um, before I do the examples. No, I'm going to go ahead and do the examples because it's just fascinating to me. I kind of got a little stirred up, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I want to leave you with something in regards to prophets and modern-day prophets that is biblical, okay? So I just want to read a couple things about discernment and how we should look at these things. There's a, I'm not going to give any names out, but just in one of the major news channels, recently, within the last year or so, and this is a big news channel, there was a, they interviewed a, a prophet, a modern day prophet who has a huge ministry and absolutely reaches millions of people, which is frightening. But here's just a, a this is an interview that they gave with him. And he said, now note the date is March 3rd, 2020. Okay. So this interview, they're, they're asking him about these things. And he said he prophesied about that this is this prophet, this modern-day prophet, who is actually a pastor in uh, California. He said that he prophesied about the virus, which has sickened 91,000 people worldwide, causing more than 3,000 deaths. And he declared, the tide is turning now. Well, I don't know which way the tide is going, but assuming that it was receding, but clearly it wasn't. Um, this, guy, this, this prophet said, we're going to see it come to an end. It's not going to be the pandemic that people are afraid of. Okay, so clearly, come on, people. All right, so, and then he goes on, and then he says, I do believe it's the answer to prayer with the people, with people of every type, Catholics and Christians. And he says, we cannot afford a moment of darkness in history. God has a plan. Well, I'm not sure how he comes up with we can't afford anything. 
If it's in God's sovereignty, it's going to happen. And then he goes on to say, uh, they, then, this person that was interviewing him was at this conference, and he said, then they began to sing Bethel Music's new song, God of Revival, when he said he had heard God clearly about the coronavirus coming to an end. This is 2020. He says, I just feel like the tide is turning shortly, whether it's two weeks or two months. God's answering prayer about this. He's answering prayer, and I saw two vaccines coming. I think one will come from Israel and another from an Asian nation, and they're going to hit pretty quickly. Well, we now know that Moderna came from America, AstraZeneca was from Sweden, Britain, Pfizer from Germany, and Sputnik was from Russia. So, you know, and I could go on, I kind of went through and I'm like, all these things on and on, and Trump's going to be president, there's no question about it, and I know some of you think he still is, but, um, but, uh, but it just goes on and on and on, and, and I, I, I want to just read a warning and you can turn if you'd like, or I can just read it out of Deuteronomy 18. Okay, if you want to just turn there briefly, Deuteronomy 18. Verse 20. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. It says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. If you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him, which means pay him no mind. So it's pretty clear right here, the word of the Lord about prophets and prophecy. And it's very clear to me, at least to me, that oftentimes these modern day prophets, they'll kind of give excuses and they'll hem-haw around with some New Testament passages that are inaccurate about you know, prophets not quite being 100%. But let me give you some guidelines that you can write down. There's three things that you might want to write down that the Bible makes distinctions about as far as what prophets were like in the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? So the first thing, here's the criteria. So if someone asks you, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? I saw him on, on a, so whatever channel, and he was given a prophecy, and he said that cities are going to be burning on this particular date and this, that. Well, you can, you can look at these this criteria of what prophets did in the Bible, because it's what we have to go on, and then ask the questions. So number one criteria, what they say must be in 100% agreement with Scripture. So it must agree with Scripture wholeheartedly. And so many times, okay, I, maybe that does go with Scripture. So that's one criteria of prophets that were in the Bible, both New and Old Testament. The second thing is biblical prophets lived moral and ethical lives. We have some, there's one prophet, I'm not going to name names, well, I probably should, but he's got two or three jets, and there's videos of him uh, blowing the coronavirus away with his mouth. He's blowing it away. And, and, and many other things he talks about in the election, and none of it has come to pass. In fact, he failed miserably. They face-planted. And um, I'm not saying having a jet is unethical, but I think you just have to look at where they stand morally and ethically. But we know that in the, in the Bible that prophets lived moral and ethical lives. The third thing and this is very important, I think, is that they had 
predictive accuracy, 100%. It wasn't, you know, I, I, and I don't think Ezekiel said, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm hearing from the Lord. I think it's what he said, or I'm kind of practicing. Let me, I, I'm out of touch. I'm just learning how to be a prophet. I think God said this. It was pretty much 100% accurate. So I don't want to dwell on, dwell on this uh, too long, but um, you're probably asking me, why is he going there? Why is he doing this? Well, I just thought about it when we talked about Nathan and we talked about prophets, and then I've heard recently some people, because people are turning to whatever they can turn to to give them some semblance of solace and, and comfort. And some people that maybe on, on a, have a more of a, a, a charismatic lean, and again, I don't mean that in necessarily a bad way, but they, they, they want to be in touch with other things. They find comfort in those things, and they, they, they look for that. Like people look for special things that are written in the Bible that we can't see. Um, so why are we doing this? I'll give you three more reasons why we're doing this. Um, the Word of God is, is what's called special revelation. There's two types of revelation. There's general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is, is, is what we know of God from creation, what's been revealed to us, the, all people. Special revelation is the Word of God or what prophets God told them in the New Testament and Old Testament. That's special revelation. So what's happening is if someone's literally hearing from God, they're hearing the voice of God, then shouldn't we write it down? Because that's special revelation. That's how important it is. So I think we really need to be careful with uh, when someone does say that I have a word from the Lord. I think it's uh, maybe a flag should go up. And maybe what they mean is I have verses in my heart that I've memorized and I know, and perhaps the Lord has brought a verse to mind and I'd like to share that verse with you because I know you're going through so-and-so. That's more of just a spiritual affirmation probably from the Holy Spirit because the Word of God is dwelling in us. So we need to make the distinctions proper, not, you know, so we have to be careful what we say. So the second thing is, um, I, I think it's unfortunate with false prophets, I think they, they can mislead the believer and the non-believer. So if a non-believer watches some of these things or some of these guys, uh, I think they can be a little skewed in perhaps what true Christianity might be. Now, I know the Lord's going to reach them, whether he, if that's his, it's on the Holy Spirit on him, it might be an open door, and it might take someone a little longer if they, if they go through the wrong path. But I think it's important to understand that it can throw people for a loop. The other thing I think is the most important thing is that I think reliance on a word from the Lord or reliance on external signs and wonders minimizes the sufficiency of Scripture. And when you, when you rely on other things, it sort of can, it doesn't always, but it can sort of minimize or, or take away from the fact that this is really the Word of God. And you want to hear it, here it is right here. And so we have to just be careful as believers to have that right balance because sometimes we can look for the external, you know, what's he saying, what's going on here, and I, 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 you know, I put a fleece out or a sign and wonder, and really it, it kind of detracts from, it means that this is not enough. And so I think believers must be careful about that. So that's just my, my, my first part of it. That was the spicy part, a little bit of heat there, just to kind of give some understanding and direction about modern-day prophets and, and how we need to be cautious and how we can perhaps uh, talk with others about it if they do approach us with it. And so I think it gives us a little bit of tools so that we have those things to go by. So uh, at this point, I want to do a major shift. We're going to jump into our passage, which is in chapter 9. This is the, one of the most beautiful. I don't know why, but whenever I get to teach, it's like I had the one with the uh, passage with, with Abigail. And it was just this wonderful, like, Lifetime Channel movie type of passage. And this is, I, I love this. It's, it's just a gorgeous 
uh, chapter. So let's go ahead and start with chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. And if anybody's taking notes, here's what I would like to kind of break this thing down. The title of this teaching tonight is The Kindness of David or The Kindness of King David. And underneath that, we have three subtitles, if you want to write these down. The first one being David's Inquiry. The second title, the second point, will be David's Reception. And the third title will be David's Provision. So, David's Inquiry. David's reception, and David's provision. Let's go ahead and start in chapter, on, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there, st there, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. So let's kind of pause right there, and let's dig in a little bit. Just I, I, when, I, when I go through a, a chapter, what I like to do is kind of divide my, my notes in half. And on the left-hand side, I like to go, okay, contextually, what's happening here? What's going on? Where are they? Just to get an understanding of what's happening as far as that goes. And then the right-hand side, uh, I, I read through the chapter a few times, and this is a wonderful plan, and actually this is something that Greg had taught me a while back, is you go through the chapter and you just read it at face value, just like you're reading a book, at which the Bible is a book. Uh, and then you kind of read it again, and things sort of pop out a little bit differently. You know, you're like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't see that the first time. And um, not that I'm getting any special revelation, mind you, but it's sometimes when we do read the Word of God, I always pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate the text because the Holy Spirit was present when it was written, and so we know that the Holy Spirit can illuminate. And then I begin to, to get an understanding and a feel for what the story is, what's happening in the story. And again, we're always cautious not to try to pull something out contextually that's not there. I don't want to make a story appear out of nothing. And so I'll refer to some very good commentary. I have, I have uh, uh, the, uh, the Reformation Bible commentary. I have an ESV commentary. Matthew Henry's a wonderful commentary written quite a while ago. Um, John MacArthur has a fantastic commentary. There's many great commentaries. And then I'll go, oh, okay, that's, that's what I thought was saying in there. And then I'll go, oh, I, I would miss that, but this is actually what's going on. And when you look at multiple commentary, you actually get the full picture of what's happening. I think I've talked about that before. So let's just look at some of the of what's happening and who these people are. Ziba was a former servant of Saul. If you're writing in notes or taking any of these notes down. Uh, then we go to, uh, let's see, was it Machir? Yeah, Machir 
uh, is where Mephibosheth, his name hasn't come up yet, thankfully, but uh, he lived with Machir, who was a wealthy man in Lodabar. So if we go back and we're trying to figure out who Mephibosheth is, let me see back here. If you'll notice in verse 3, there is still a son of, John, uh, son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Well, let's look back real quickly in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel. Chapter 4, and let's go right to verse 4. So 2 Samuel, just a few pages back, just to, we, we covered this before, but just to kind of get an understanding of what happened to Mephibosheth. Um, and, some, and some scholars believe that Jonathan had Mephibosheth while David was still, they were peers, they were friends, and they had their covenant together. So let's read verse 4 of chapter 4. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So that just gives you a background and understanding of what happened. He wasn't born with it. There was an accident that happened and he was crippled. It was probably maybe a, a fall of some kind in the rocks during the haste. Maybe he slid down a mountain or something. But maybe back in those days they didn't understand splinting and those. I don't know. But he was crippled. He was lame. He couldn't really walk. And so that's who Mephibosheth is. Uh, one of Jonathan's sons. And he fell when he was young. So let's get to kind of the, the first point of this is that this whole chapter deals with the kindness of David, right? So he's, he's becoming a very great king. He's, he's accomplished militarily, but he's also uh, very discerning, and he's showing an incredible amount of kindness. In fact, in this, he really is still showing an honor to Saul in a way, but really more so with this, it's really for Jonathan and the sake of Jonathan because they had a covenant together. And so I don't know what brought this to mind for David. He just wanted to make sure that... So the first point of this, of this here, like I said before, is David's inquiry. He actually just began to think and wonder how he could show kindness. And I think that for me, as I was reading through this, it's a great lesson in, in our lives. And how, how, are we, how do we live? Do we, do we actively seek out people to be kind to? Do we, or is it just something like, oh, you know, something, oh, there's a need. Okay, sure, I'll, I'll sign on there. I'll, yeah, oh, there's the, I'll, I'll donate a certain amount. But what do we do daily that is an active pursuit of seeking out something or a situation to be kind to, right? So that's, it's, it was a good challenge for me. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Um, but David, he did that. He demonstrated that. He actually went out of his way to go and seek out someone to be kind to. Some, I did read a couple things where, oh, well, he's just trying to get Mephibosheth in his sights because he's still a line of Saul and he wants to have him under wrap. Completely false, bad doctrine. And so I looked some of those things up, but he really truly wanted to show kindness. And so he seeks out Mephibosheth. And so let's continue on, uh, starting in verse 6. Okay. And Mephibosheth the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness 
for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid, and Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog as I? Wow. I, that, I, I'm just trying, to, just trying to picture how that all occurred. So David has Mephibosheth brought to his palace, or I don't know where he was. And I know that Mephibosheth knew who David was. Maybe he thought David was going to just wipe out Saul's lineage right there. And you can, you can tell where he, where, he, where he spoke right here. He said, um, Mephibosheth uh, came and fell on his face and paid homage. Just showing you it was probably out of respect. It might have been out of fear. And you can see David's reaction in kindness and love. And this is the second part of this whole thing. It's David's reception. It's how David received Mephibosheth. Let's really learn from this and watch. So David said, Mephibosheth, and it's, it's an exclamation point. It's, it's a, he's like, please, he said, behold, Mephibosheth said, I'm your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you. So this is a big deal. So David immediately picks him up, you know, not, but he, can you imagine? So he's crippled. I'm trying to picture this. He's crippled. And I don't know how he was brought in. Maybe he was carried in. And he falls on his face in this complete submission. Who am who, A dead dog. That's about the, as low as it gets. That means useless in this context. It just of no use. And David graciously lifts him in spirit and redirects and said, here's what I'm doing. And for the sake of your father, who I'm sure Mephibosheth knew that they had this beautiful covenant and bond. And he said, I'm going to not only, not only are you going to eat at my table, but I'm going to restore all of Saul's land to you. And now looking back at some of the, some, some of the theologians wrote, it was a, a large, it was, this was a lot. It wasn't like 10 acres out West. It was thousands of acres of land that had fertile crop and they were going to, as it moves forward, you'll see more about what they were going to do with the land. But this is David's reception, and so which brought up a whole other point. Um, when we are approached with the needy or the poor or the poor in spirit or the people that are simply just downtrodden, what is our reception? How do we greet them? How do we receive them? You know, it's, it's, it's I mean, I have to be honest, you know, you, you're in a busy highway and the guy comes by with a bucket and you kind of put your window up a little bit. You know, I mean, what do you do? You know, sometimes it's so easy to go, well, he's making probably more than I am this week. You know, you know, we, we kind of think of those things or, you know, you know, he's they're they're just living off the government. You know, it, some people are. Um, but how do we receive the needy? How do we receive the poor? And not even, not necessarily even financial poor. How do we receive those who are broken in spirit? You know? Oh gosh, here she comes again. She's gonna, you know, she's gonna talk my ear off. How do we receive those people? I think it's very important to look as for as an example here of how uh, David received someone that just fell at his feet, didn't quite know what to expect. Um, I think the reception of David speaks volumes here, and how he received Mephibosheth. So that's something. Interesting. I here's what just something. One of my favorite authors. And writers. In fact, I have a little fun fact for you. Okay, 
because I'm an art teacher, and um, I, I thought it would be interesting that I might have told some of you this, but one of my favorite artists is Vincent Van Gogh, or Vincent Van Gogh, as it's supposed to be said, but no one says that. Uh, he uh, aspired to be a preacher. His brother was a preacher, Theodore. And um, one of uh, Van Gogh's favorite preachers, two of actually his favorite preachers that he would practice the sermons of and do preaching on his own was Charles Spurgeon. Like two, two worlds collide right there. So my favorite, like Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorites, as well as D.L. Moody. And Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh, ear, all that, um, those were his mentors when it came to that. And I thought that was just fascinating to see those, you know, late, mid to late 1800s. And when, when Van Gogh traveled, and I just thought it was kind of interesting, but I digress. Um, he, Charles Had Spurgeon wrote this about the story of Mephibosheth. Um, and this brought a whole other layer to this. And I'll probably conclude at some point with this layer, but just, just listen to how this is written. And he's referring to Mephibosheth and David and the, the kindness of David. So I'll just read just a little bit here. It says, Mephibosheth was no great ornament to a royal table, yet he had a continual place at David's board because the king could see his face, could see in his face the features of the beloved Jonathan. Like Mephibosheth, we may cry unto the king of glory, what is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? But still the Lord indulges us with the most familiar fellowship with himself because he sees in our countenances, countenances the remembrance of his dearly beloved Jesus. Who writes like that anymore? I mean, good grief. He, he goes on and it's just, there's more and more to this, but I thought, wow, um, that's a whole nother layer to this. And uh, I'll, I'm going to kind of wrap it up at the end with that part of it. I'm going to go back to Spurgeon a little bit, but um, what a beautiful example of how Christ uh, receives us, you know, and, and this ties in so beautifully with that. Um, but let's continue on. Let's, let's go. We're going to move now to um, David's provision, okay? So this is the third uh, section here in the teaching on David's provision. Let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, or Mephibosheth, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a lot of people right there. That's a lot of manpower. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. That right there is David's provision. So we had David's inquiry, 
we had David's reception, and now we have a beautiful example of his provision. This was a lifelong thing from that point forward. Not only did, uh, did David restore everything that, that Mephibosheth's grandfather had once had, he allowed him to, he basically adopted, adopted, adopt, <laughs> adopted him in to his family and allowed him to sit at the table. And I just think that's a, a beautiful thing. Um, Ziba, you know, running through the left-hand side of my column here, uh, David essentially deeds all that belonged to Saul. Ziba accepts and obeys clearly because David is the king. And what I thought was unique as well is that David's kindness not only went to Mephibosheth, but it went to his son as well. It extended through the lineage and on and on. And so uh, it's just such a unique story. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm not going to drag this thing out. But I just, it's just a moving story to me because these three factors in this, the three major sections of of what David did and, and how he exhibited his kindness uh, speak volumes to me. And I, and I think in each one of these points, we can, we can ask ourselves, what are we doing? How do we inquire? How do we seek out those in need? And how do we seek out those to be kind to? It's not just necessarily about those in need. It's just, who can we seek out that might need a word of encouragement? You know, they might not be in need, but they might be serving from week to week at, at church or maybe somewhere else that you know, and you're like, just seeking them out and, and being kind. I think kindness goes a long way. Uh, there's a book I'm reading. Um, this, I just finished reading this. It's, it's called Pleasing God by R.C. Sproul. It's a fantastic book. It really is sort of a summary of sanctification. Sanctification is simply meaning our walk with Christ from now till glorification. And it kind of goes through every little chapter and, and things. It talks about uh, the world. It talks about uh, beware of the leaven, talking about Pharisees. It talks about fear and guilt. Satan the accuser, the devil, and it's just sort of how we please God in all of these aspects. And he had a chapter in here that I thought was unique. And I, and I just want to touch on this for a moment because it talks about kindness. We always want to sort of tie things back to the Scripture. Um, of course, we're in the Scripture, but let me just read a little bit from R.C. Sproul's book. It says, Jesus summarized the Christian life in the simplest summation of all. Just as you want men to do to you, you do to them likewise. This is what we call the golden rule, the law of gold, a gold more precious than diamonds and rubies. Any child can recite the golden rule, but to make it an active part of daily living is no mean feat. Um, he goes on to say in this chapter, he said, we, we please the loving God, the kind God. We please God when we obey the golden rule. Now, a lot of people have hijacked the golden rule. In fact, as a matter of fact, as I was reading this, the golden rule, quote-unquote, was actually in uh, sort of in, in other forms in other religions. It was in Buddhism, but it was always, it was always uh, on, on the negative side. Uh, and so in other words, if this person does something, then do this back. Or, you know, and this way, when Christ wrote it, he, he, he spoke it, it was on, on do... Well, let me read it again because I think it was important. Now, this is in the... Uh, let me get to where it was. I want to make sure I get the, the, the ESV because that's typically what we're in. It says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So it's really a positive action in that. And so he also says here, this is R.C. Sproul. He says, we please God when we pursue justice and mercy 
and when we practice loyal love. Loyal love referring to uh, Micah when he talked about love or kindness. Uh, we please Him when we treat others as we wish to be treated. We please Him when we reach out to the forgotten and the downtrodden. And it says the, these, the, these rules of Scripture for righteous living weigh far more than concerns about spiritual life that precludes drinking, smoking, and cursing. Righteousness has rules, but it is more than rules. If we care for the rules without caring for the people, we have missed the goal of righteousness. You know, I, I think that it was a wake-up call to me in a way. Um, you know, I, I started back with the school year this year, and, and there's some challenges this year. And, you know, we, I, we actively get students in that are sometimes hard to love. And just, just trying to show kindness and just trying to keep this in mind. And so as I was going through this, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I've got some changes to make, you know. Um, but I think it's good to have that on the forefront of our minds uh, because as we, again, and I, I always hit this at some point, talking about that road to sanctification that we're all on, um, how can we please God? And we please God in, in reaching out to um, the weakest of these, you know. So, uh, I think that, and you know, one more wrote, note I had written down here on the side is that even, and I think I spoke to it before, those that we can reach out to with kindness don't necessarily have to be in need, you know, financially or whatever. They, they can, again, just be simply people that we just simply reach out to. So the last thing that provision, David's provision, my challenge or my question that I had for myself is how are we providing for people? How are we showing kindness and provision? How, how are we having a beneficent heart? There are many ways to do it. You can do it because uh, we, some people are, we're able to donate to the students that are in need here at the, high, uh, the, at the middle school. We do that uh, with our tithes. You can write on benevolence. Sometimes people do benevolence. Sometimes people adopt a, uh, an orphan out of uh, a, middle, uh, a country, you know, a third world country. Um, but how are we actively providing and doing? And so there's those three things that how are we, how are we, are we inquiring? Are we looking for the, the opportunities? How are we greeting those with kindness that, are, that need it? And then how are we providing for it the best we can? And sometimes it's simply, our provision simply might be, like I said, hey, great job. I really appreciated what you did this week. And um, th- I, you know, I know no one notices what you do each from week to week, but I really appreciate it. And I see it and I notice it, you know, or just a kind word or, you know, someone's going through something. We have so many needs and opportunities in this body with people that are ill and people that are home and just, hey, can I, can I bring you a meal? Or, or, hey, you know, contact the church office. Is there any way, is there anything going on for this family? Can we do something for them? And those are all ways that we can show kindness. And I think it's, it's a neat lesson in this. Um, well, in conclusion, and I know it's, well, 45 minutes. I don't want to go too long, but at the same time, um, <laughs> um, some of the ta- some of the takeaways. So if you wonder, if you're taking notes, some of the takeaways that I sort of concluded with when I wrap this up, um, kind of going back to the first part of what we talked about with the prophecy stuff. Uh, stay vigilant. Uh, have a good understanding of, of what, the, what, what, the, what the Bible shows us, prophets did, and uh, that way we can sort of measure it against. Anything we do, anything we hear, we want to measure it against Scripture because Satan is the father of lies, and he can kind of create something that sounds kind of good and sounds kind of right, but when you measure it against Scripture, it may not necessarily line up. And this is the ultimate uh, measuring tool, if you want, or measuring tape for things like that. So remember to have discernment as we go forward with this. Um, 
And I said, again, I said in Luke, uh, I summarized that one part. Jesus said, as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. I think that's just a beautiful thing that we need to remember. Um, so as I was, this was really on my way home that I, from work today that this sort of, I don't want to say it popped into my head, but it sort of kind of all came to a, to a, to a head when I was, and it sort of went, wow, that's, that's the bigger picture of the story is that the gospel is shown in the story, um, how Christ seeks us out. God pursues us. The Holy Spirit finds us and convicts us. That's how we're converted. You know, we, we, under, we hear things from people and we see things, and then all of a sudden God is doing the seeking and He finds us. So He's reaching out. And I think that goes with the first part of what David was showing, the mercy he was showing. Um, then the reception, I thought, um, you know, I was almost brought to tears at the reception, the way that interaction between Mephibosheth and David when he fell on uh, the dead dog that I am. Aren't we the dead dogs? Are we the, are we, I mean, who are we, you know, and we fall on our feet or fall on our face, you know, to Christ. And he, he, he says, he lifts us up and he says, you're, you're, you're now adopted. You're, you're, you're mine, you know, and I'll discipline you and I'll correct you, but you're, you're in my family now. And we're, we're taken in from, from this, from nothing, from being dead, dead in sin to this elevated to children of God. I just think that was like, whoa, that's amazing. Uh, and then, obviously, his everlasting provision, his provision for us as David provided for Mephibosheth till he, the day he died and his family, um, God provides for us daily. He provides for us in ways that we don't even know. There's things that God directs and, and he's sovereign and his hand of providence is all over us. If we only knew, someday we'll know all of the things he did to get us here tonight and to give us another breath. We wake up each day like, oh, I can still breathe. I feel okay, you know, and, and that's, that's God. His hand of provision while we're here on this earth is beyond knowledge, but his hand of provision goes far beyond this earth. It's everlasting and forever we'll be in his house with him, eating at his table. It says there, it says, in fact, I think there's something that talks about um, talking about communion and how we're to do this until we finally get to do it with Him at, in heaven. And so I think this story, uh, man, it just, it's kind of the whole, to wrap it all up, I think it's a beautiful uh, understanding of what kindness is and a challenge of what we should be doing and how we should be living, but also the gospel in a nutshell right there. It's how God found us, He rescued us, He receives us, and He provides for us. And I think it's just a great what a wonderful chapter. I just, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to teach on it again at some point, but it's, you know, when you get a chapter and you never know because we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And sometimes, uh, you know, you get one on what taught one on the, the tumors and the gold rats and the things, you know, just crazy stuff when the ark was taken and you never know what you're going to get. But, um, but with good study and really understanding what happens, there's some really neat things to be found in, in the Old Testament book. So um, with that, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and conclude in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, again, we, we, Lord, we thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Uh, for those who are watching online, we, we thank you for them and, and how they're resting, but they're able to hear the word of the Lord, Father, from your word directly. And we just are so grateful for that. We pray for our brothers and sisters again in Afghanistan and also in Haiti uh, who are dealing with sometimes, it's, sometimes the news pushes one thing to the next. We forget about things. 
And Lord, for them trying to rebuild after the horrible earthquake and all the rains. And Lord, we pray for those both of those countries. Lord, that you'll be all over uh, with your hand of comfort, Lord. Um, and Lord, as we just think about and reflect on your word tonight here in Second uh, Samuel, the story of David and Mephibosheth, Father, we, we're grateful. Lord, we're grateful that you found us, that you pursued us, Father. Lord, we're grateful that we are accepted, Father, as children, that we are righteous in your sight, Father. And Lord, that you provide for us and you'll provide for us into eternity, Lord. Go with each and every one of us, Father. Keep us safe as we travel, Lord. Bring us together uh, in health on Sunday to worship you, Father, as a, a corporate body. In your name we pray. Amen.